Today, we are visiting the eras that made us, and we start with the 90s and the, the media. We are, we are talking about the biz and the beat, the coverage. M- media has always had uh, great influence over us, whether it's in entertainment, whether it's, it's politics. They exert great uh, time effort into to manipulating what we think, what we see, and it is no different. It is surprising to me how much of it was going on in the early 90s. In, in the pages of so many of the comic book magazines that covered the comic book business. Today, we take a deep dive. We read directly from their words. We, we share their words, no manipulation on our part. We just share with you some of the ways that they were trying to influence what you collect, how you collected it, and the people and the talents that you liked. And we do that all on an all-new episode of Observations. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Observations. I am Rob Liefeld, your host. We talk all things comic books, superheroes, and adapt- adaptions of comic books and superheroes in streaming shows, in cartoons, in movies, in video games. And my favorite, we, we, we include toys, action figures in there, often discussing them. But my favorite, my absolute favorite is discussing the source material, the actual comic books and the brilliant creators that made them. Because as I have stated time and time and time again, without the kick-ass comic book creators that I grew up with, that you grew up with, there's nothing to film, no movies to make, no, 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 no streaming shows to make, no action figures to sculpt. There's nothing. The toy aisles are empty. The movie theaters are playing you something else in the streaming services are looking even harder and deeper to find some sort of content that is going to, you know, engage your eyeballs. Comic books and superheroes are my passion. I've been making comic books for 39 calendar years. Hired 18 years old. Never looked back. Just had the most amazing uh, career. Have just loved every single minute of making comic books and producing comic books and drawing and writing. And, and, And here's the deal. Producing comic books is... An interesting aspect, uh, because so so often I I I, I, uh, I mentioned producing comic books without going into full kind of detail what exactly that entails. Well, when I say producing comic books, so I had a studio. At one point, we put out twenty two comic books a month. We were the number two family of comic books in uh, the comic book industry. It was X Men. It was Extreme Studios. My t- my my family. Then there was the Batman family and the Spider Man family. Yes, we were. Absolutely the second best selling family. And that was broken down by the biggest distributor at the time who would show everybody the family of titles that, that they would then show other companies as well, like Valiant Comics, which was an entire label, was way down there, like eight or nine. Our studio, uh, as I tell people, when comics sold the most, we were at the top. And we were giving people uh, Brigade and Bloodstrike and Youngblood and Profit. And that was. Following the incredible success that I had Marvel as a very young man, being able to create and fill the pages of their comic books with my own characters from my notepads, my my uh, my journals, and 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 that is what brought you Cable and Deadpool and Domino and Strife and X Force and all those uh, fun characters, Kane, uh, the the you know uh, Grizzly. I loved each and every character that that I shared with you there. 
And because of the favor that you brought to those characters, I was able to branch off on my own. At Extreme Studios, I would put together teams, writers, artists, inkers, colorists, other color studios. We financed our own. I, I, I've talked to uh, about it on, on this show at great length. I financed my own color department, bringing in students from tech schools and from, from uh, Carnegie Mellon, from other tech schools to come in uh, and, and set up a computer network and, and give us the, the uh, software that we needed to, to get on our way. And we knew that the first few books would be as clunky as possible. I, I later then hired key figures away from other color houses of the time. It's a competitive market. I hired key people away from uh, uh, one of the best, if not the best of the time called Ole Optics. And he came and oversaw everyone's work and, 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 and kind of gave, uh, gave influence uh, and, and, bettered, and, and absolutely bettered the quality of our work. But, but budgets are a part of that. Who are you paying? What are you paying? Uh, how much are we spending per book? Uh, which printers are we using? Which, which, which what we called, the, the industry called gimmicks, the printer would call enhancements. What's going where? None of that was by accident. All of that was with me right there guiding this gets a mirror coat cover, brigade number two. This gets rub the blood, blood, blood strike uh, number one. Okay, a triple gatefold pullout cover on brigade number one and brigade two will have the mirror coat. Okay, this is going to get a special uh, silver foil edition logo. All of that stuff is stuff that we would pick out together and analyze the cost and the returns. And it was a very exciting time and it was a school uh, of how to understand how to actually you know, make comics some on a budget uh, to 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 decide to spend extravagantly and still uh, get that money back. Uh, profit fell under uh, that. The entire first year of profit was an incredibly expensive year. The title, the the, the talent between Dan Panosian and later Stephen Platt were all incredibly well compensated. But the book sold extremely well. I mean, it, it launched in the six hundred thousands and then bumped up to the eight hundred and fifty thousands when Stephen Platt came on. And just think if Stephen had been able to keep a deadline. Just think if Stephen had been able to meet the demand for his work monthly instead of crawling it down to like every three months as we were forced to do to give you the artist that you wanted because that's why we went after him in the first place. But the, but the work slowed to a crawl and there was, a, there was kind of a resistance. We had to get him anchors. Again, these are all decisions that were made with me at the helm knowing kind of the books that I wanted to bring you. And then... uh you know, having to decide what kind of budgets each of those books had. I bring this up because some of my lieutenants, Eric Stevenson, who is now a partner at Image Comics and the publisher of Image Comics, uh, was a key lieutenant. Matt Hawkins, who has worked at Top Cow for over two decades, far longer than he ever worked at Extreme, but I gave him his first shot. Met him at a comic book uh, 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 store signing at Mile High Comics. He wanted to break into the business. I believe he was in banking at the time or accounting. And I just saw fire in Matt. I saw fire and I knew that we could teach him. It was fun with Matt because the first year he was very scared of every aspect of the business, the brushback. And we're going to get to some of that with the retailers. But the producing of the books really details every single decision on down the line of what to give you. So having been able to produce those books uh, and, and have the number two family of comics is, is where I get the lion's share of my... Uh, experience that I can bring to you and share with you over the eras. And today we are absolutely going to swim in, in the 90s uh, because my, my, my research really took me down a rabbit hole, you know, given the 90s. And again, everything from the 90s seems kind of fresh to today's, to today's eyeballs. I, and if you doubt me for one minute, maybe 
you saw one of the uh, most identifiable 90s icons given a Super Bowl slot, a character that I am responsible for giving to you, uh, was given a huge showcase spot on a show that reportedly has around 120 million global eyeballs. You saw Deadpool uh, given a, a early 10-minute exposure for his trailer to go download, get the, get the whole thing. You saw that on the Super Bowl. So the 90s are with us, people. They are alive. They are well. And it it mirrors up really well with all of the research that I've been doing in this last week. We're going to start uh, doing a series of looks at the decades. We, we already have a thing called the decades, but this is going to be called, you know, uh, the eras that made us. And the 90s is going to get plenty of play during this time. And it's going to be the one that we kick off today. And we're going to actually look at the media, the beat, and, 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 and you know, the, the coverage that, that we were given, you know, covering the beat of comic books uh, and, and, and just in, in all media and how they covered us. Because again, the 90s is turning out to be quite uh, the, the, the very rich mine that, that at least Sony and, and Disney slash Marvel are, 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 are drilling into with uh, whether it is Venom and all kind of related Venom stuff, Carnage symbiotes, as well as then D- Deadpool. And I mean, you saw on the Super Bowl trailer, you saw Deadpool, you saw Vanessa, you saw Shatterstar. Maybe there were other hints at other Liefeld-related stuff to come, but, but that is a product of my work in the 90s, given this giant new showcase as we march towards a movie that many people believe is going to be the savior of... Uh, of, of Marvel, as 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 uh, Deadpool so proudly proclaims in the trailer that he is Marvel Jesus. If he is Marvel Jesus, what does that make your host who gave Deadpool to you? Food for thought, right? Moving on, the media, the '90s. Um, you know the, the 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 coverage that they gave us is very interesting. So many of you had a love affair. We've exposed some of what was going on behind the scenes at Wizard because, again, given my position as someone who published books. Uh, and, and bought ads, ad buys in Wizard. We had a lot of money to spend because our books were doing very well. So we wanted to do extravagant. Sometimes we would do a four or five or six page, you know, spread that, that would have a cover page that would lead you into, you know, the, the slogan, the, the, the doctrine of the new series and then hit you with a double page image and then close with another image. And it was kind of a presentation. We took, we took great pride in, in using not just Wizard, but some of the other magazines at the time, Hero Magazine, uh, Fan Magazine. We, we would utilize our ads throughout all of those. But Wizard was a weird uh, animal in that when it came out, it was extremely fresh in, in that it was uh, helmed by the, the, the publisher, the, the uh, uh, I guess, the owner of Wizard at the time, Garib Seamus, who had been going from convention to convention to convention many times sitting down on the floor next to my metal chair or kneeling as he would talk to myself or any of the other artists on Artist Row, Artist Alley at, 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 at uh, WonderCon Oakland, uh, the, the, the show that, 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 that launched in Oakland, California that was quite a dynamo for, for a period of years, uh, or, or Chicago or San Diego. And he would tell us what he wanted to do, his vision that he saw. There had already been a, an incredible line of uh, comic book magazines covering the industry with in-depth interviews and previews, uh, Amazing Heroes was probably everyone's favorite. Comics Journal was the one where you got the 30, 50-page interviews with some of your best and, and, and favorite creators 
and they just kind of spilled their guts, t- spoke their minds. And, and uh, there, there was Comic Scene, which was a branch of Starlog, which was the number one sci-fi magazine. So, so Wizard was coming in, seeing an opening, and there was a lot of enthusiasm. And there was a tremendous amount of uh, just youthful energy that accompanied the magazine. Now, I've told you that as time went by, uh, they were more interested in controlling the business than reporting the business. They wanted absolutely to influence it and to pivot your interests. Now, I found out today just how early those seeds were being planted. It was a little shocking because, again, going deep into this research. So I mentioned my lieutenants. Eric Stevenson, Matt Hawkins, myself, we would always meet, gather, discuss. We'd, we'd have breaks in the, uh, there was a great kind of cafeteria in the office building that we, we were in. We'd go, we'd grab ice cream, we'd grab sodas, you know, snack food, have an after, late afternoon break after lunch, a couple hours after lunch to continue to keep the vibes going before we closed out the day. They would earmark and uh, write notes in the margins of several of the different fan magazines that we would receive because, of course, we would receive them given that we bought ads and we would get co- copies. So I have a vast collection, all the wizards, all the fan magazines, all the comic scenes, all the stuff that was going on at the time. I, those were my copies. They went with me when we moved offices. When I go out to look for quotes from other creators to determine, because I would rather tell you in their words every time. I would rather tell you in their words every single time uh, what was said rather than me tell you or interpret it. I'd rather just tell you the sentences, the thoughts, everything that is expressed in the words of those creators. And so to do that, you have to hunt these down. One of the advantages of, again, having these is these aren't archived. There is no, not yet, a, a wizard go-to fan site that you can go and download the interviews, the checklists, the the all of the speculative um, you know, comic book columns that they did, guessing what's what's going to do this, what's hot, what's not, all that stuff. That, that doesn't exist yet. Not, not in a way that is accessible to everybody. And so by having the physical copies and go, being able to go through them and then looking at notes from Matt, from Eric, from myself, we would all make notations because we wanted to follow the thought patterns. But if you go back to the earliest, earliest days of image, I'm sorry, of, of Wizard, which happens to coincide with Image Comics. If you go back to the very earliest days of Wizard Magazine, they are laying out their desire to influence the thought and influence the positioning uh, of, of, of your approach to comics, who you like, why you like what you like. They're doing it right early on, right in the first year. And it was, it was not as obvious to me as, as it is now because it's right there in front of me. If, if, if I'm telling you that I'm looking at these for quotes from different creators, well, then the quotes and the columns and, and the missives put forth by the staff is, is just as important to, to, to look at, read, absorb, and go, wow, this, they're really not mincing words about what they're saying here. We live in a world that's never been more media charged. When my children, all adult children now, ask me, well, Dad, what's, what was different? What was different from what's going on in the media scene now? And, and simply, I put it as, as simply as I can, things were less political. They were wildly less political. You did not have politics take up so much bandwidth across the culture and now with all of our social media platforms across every platform. And it just, politics happened. The president was there. He worked with Congress, with Senate, whoever. Uh, but it just, every decision was not second guessed and reporters were less inclined to, sh- to share with you ever their political beliefs. I believe as you, uh, you can look right now 
at any news channel, at any news show, and you can ascertain very quickly who is from a liberal position of thought and who is from a conservative position of thought. And and there's positions within both of those positions, as we all know. I am a middle-of-the-road, middle-fence guy. Some guys, it's great because some of you are able to, uh, you know, Respond back to me. I do live streams on on an app called Whatnot, which you should absolutely download. It is the number one best uh, collectible app. I am, my name is Rob Liefeld on Whatnot. You should get it. I launched a brand new comic book series called Last Blood on there, exclusively only available from me through my live stream. That's 28 full color pages, original material, brand new series that you can only get from me on my Whatnot live streams. And you can get so much more not just from me, but from other people, uh, signed, remarked comics, exclusive variants, trading cards, collectible cards, all of it. Get the WhatNot app. Download the WhatNot app. Uh, you'll have a blast. They have all sorts of, again, as I said, they have sports uh, sports gear, jerseys. Uh, that They have kicks. I mean, you name it. WhatNot has it. I'm on there as Rob Liefeld. Download it. Follow me. And you will see uh, my, when my shows go live. You'll get a notification and hopefully you can join us and be part of the exclusive variants, remarks, specialty signatures that I offer, and especially my brand new book that is only available. And and, and, and there are definitely numerous dedicated whatnot variants only available for my my whatnot live stream. So so definitely, I just use this as the pivot. Get whatnot, follow me, and be able to um, 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 go live with my live streams. And on one of those live streams, I asked a very... Uh, candid question about something that I thought was going on and I, I, I asked it from as middle of the road as I possibly could. One viewer responded with like an immediate knee-jerk response, even though I was asking people to explain a position to me. I said, I want to know, you know, where are, what are your thoughts on this position? Then somebody said, no way, Liefeld has been, has been identifying as an independent for the last 20 years. He's, he's been identifying on his social media. And I'm like, oh my gosh, thank God. I do identify as an independent. I am a middle of the road uh, person. I don't like any of the extremes in any of the top tier parties in the United States of America. I grew up and things weren't crazy like this. And this isn't political. It's it's, it's to to pivot you back to media and coverage. Okay, and uh, in in the larger sphere of the media, I watch equal amounts of liberal coverage and conservative coverage because i want to know what both people are saying i do not want to be misinformed also on my social media platforms i follow equal amounts of liberal uh, talk shows hosts magazines uh, uh, websites as i do conservative and i listen to both wanting to understand both approaches to any given topic that used to be something that you didn't really i didn't click on the nightly news. And of course I am of an era that there was only three networks: CBS, NBC, ABC. I was there in 1986, 87 when the Fox network was born and they announced their existence with a handful of shows married with children. Uh, there was a, I think there was a show called Wolfman or werewolf with Chuck Connors who used to be a cowboy and something called the Rifleman. I mean, guys, I was there 21 jump street was, I, I believe early on in that. Uh, but, but three networks dictated, uh, all through my my teenage years, and they were on in our household, and 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 they are hosts uh, that 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 you would not know that are gone, but th- those were just the news that the the anchors who gave us the news who did not insert themselves into the news. Now nowadays it is just commonplace, and I think it is 
I've got to believe uh, it is encouraged that each of the ho- these hosts curate a personality for you. Like, hey, I'm a liberal. Hey, I'm super liberal. Hey, I'm conservative. Hey, I'm super loony, crazy uh, conservative. Okay. Well, I'm telling you in sports, everybody has their positions. In entertainment, everybody has their positions. And people are getting far more clumsy at trying to hide or, or, or trying to kind of keep their own biases out. Case in point, I have followed a writer who, uh, who has a giant platform, Bill Simmons and his Ringer Network. Uh, I followed him when he, was an, when he was writing columns for ESPN and he would write these really long columns. Most of the time, he was dragging the Lakers. He is an unabashed uh, Bostonian. He, uh, his favorite team is the Celtics, uh, the Red Sox, and, and, and the, the, the New England Patriots. He is a Bostonian through and through and through. And he writes through that lens, and he, he would write just, he was the guy that to me, for my money, dragged Kobe Bryant more uh, viciously than any other writer. And it was part of the reason that he loved, I'm sorry, that he resented the success that the Kobe Lakers had. That's just a fact. So let me put a pin in it right there because this is to, to illustrate bias. This is to illustrate bias. This is not about sports, but it is a guy who has a giant news network now in the ringer. And I am so entertained by him. I think he is a great orator. He speaks well. He presents his opinions, even when I don't agree with them. He, 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 his, his ringer network covers entertainment, sports, politics, all of it. Okay. And uh, I was listening to his sports, uh, his, his final NFL net football show post, post-Super Bowl. It's what I use to get me to sleep because I like to go to sleep listening to podcasts and then if I wake up in the middle of the night, I'll just continue and it'll put me back to sleep. I just, rather than t- turn on the TV or look at my phone, which has lights and are going to distract my eyes, I just listen. Well, I cracked up because, of course, he is very protective of his <laughs> Bill Russell era uh, Celtics and, and, and that record when, when there was eight teams in, in the league. And he is very protective of his Brady and Belichick uh, uh, Patriots. And he, 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 even his co-host goes, oh my gosh, cut it out with the Belichick thing. Because in the world of sports, in case you're wondering, Bill Belichick, who stepped away from the New England Patriots organization, stepped down, is no longer their coach, did not get a coaching job. And there's a lot of reasons that people feel for that because he is a curmudgeon of another age and he is not, he does not speak fluent, current athlete, uh, offense or defense. The Patriots literally fell apart when Tom Brady left and it kind of ended the discussion, which, which one of these guys was the guy. And now, you can tell me about Belichick's great defenses and his incredible mind, and I was totally team Belichick. I thought he was the guy. Tom Brady stepped away, continued to have A-level success, and, 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 and Belichick cratered. Okay, he cratered. But in the grand scheme of things, after the Kansas City Chiefs won their third Super Bowl in four years, he struggled to identify them as a dynasty. They, they didn't fit into his... Uh, you know, he said like the Celtics, Russell Celtics, and 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 then there's uh, you know, th- th- there's obviously Brady's. Uh, th- those are the top tier like dynasties. He never once mentioned the team that he hates the most, the Lakers, who went to seven finals or eight in the '80s and won five, and then the 2000 era Lakers, who went to seven finals and did win five. Between them, the Celtics, uh, it, you know, in that entire Shaq and and Kobe era. You know, they, they, they won their first title in, in two decades when they won it in 2008 while the Lakers had been feasting. 
had been had been had been had been to repeats and repeats, but he would not put them. He would not sing. He would not put the Lakers as as a dynasty. While he holds up his Bill Russell era Celtics and his Patriots, and and he's struggling to to, to put the Kansas City Chiefs, who just won three out of four. That's bias. I'm not a Kansas City Chief fan. I'm a Rams fan, but I am, uh, you know, cognizant and and have have enough control of of my thoughts and my emotions that I can tell you that. Kansas City is absolutely a dynasty, and there's probably more on the way. But just as they are right now, three and four years, and back-to-back in the last two, they are a dynasty. But but the, when the host will not acknowledge that there are other dynasties outside his Celtics dynasty within the basketball realm, and that Magic won five, and that Kobe won five, uh, that speaks to bias. We have that bias everywhere we go in entertainment. We have it in comics, and that is what we're going to continue to dive into into today at the very early stages of Wizard, where you're going to see right there, knocking on the door, they're right there. They want to influence you. They want to tell you what to think and caution you right from the outset. One thing I'm also going to be just straight up is we're going to end this reading from actual retailers who their bias is what's selling. I'm going back to a 1993 buyer's guide. I've, I've shared with you other Overstreet uh, collectors buy it. So, so we're going to wrap this up with reading directly from after you see what the media is trying to push and manipulate, just go to the retailer. What was working for them? What was selling for them? I'm going to share it with you and you're going to get greater kind of insight into, into again, even with, with, with reporting what's working at the cash register, there's some discrepancy, but at least that is actual sales and movement at a retail level from actual retailers. So, so as far as the early days of, of Wizard Magazine, when Garib... And his staff would contact us, would would ask us, will you do a cover for my magazine? Will you do a cover? Will you do a cover? And and if you look at the first year of the covers by Wizard Magazine, they are by and large large by myself, Rob Liefeld, Wills Portacio, Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, Sam Keith, image artists. But at the time, we are blowing up being the top, uh, the 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 top selling creators, the top selling. Uh, writers and artists over at Marvel Comics. And they seem to be very excited about the work that we are doing at Marvel, whether it's on Spider-Man, on X-Force, on X-Men. And they report with great enthusiasm about the success of those books. And those books are routinely in the top 10. Cable himself, I think, is like 10 out of 12 months. He is one of the top characters and top books. New Mutants 87, there was a huge surge and Cable was a giant figure on the scene which without cable, you don't get to Deadpool, Domino, and the rest, as I've, as I've, as I've laid out many times on previous podcasts. And I all, always encourage you, uh, at the first year, uh, the o- opening up of our second year of this podcast, I did a five-part uh, Making of Deadpool podcast, which I absolutely encourage you to listen to. So many of your questions uh, about Deadpool, especially with the new movie on the horizon, can be answered uh, visiting those, those specific podcasts. And I did, I did one on uh, the making of Cable. Maybe it's called The Cable Guy, two parts. There's one also in there, uh, how I brought these characters to life over at Marvel. Well, so they were very supportive of the work that we were doing uh, at, at, uh, at Marvel. But when we announced that we would be working with Malibu Comics to distribute our Image Comics label, their, their, uh, their interest turns their attitude turns. And let me tell you something. As I, as I said, I was there. I was a kid. And if I'm going to call uh, Wizard a, a, a fraternity of nerds, just know that I am also a nerd. But when I walked into their offices several times over the course of the year when I was on the East Coast, or I do an interview with them on, on, on site, 
Um, and again, the, the, the worst was when Heroes Reborn Avengers number one and Captain America were coming out, uh, uh, coming out and a uh, very young cub reporter named Brian Cunningham could not hide the obvious bias that he was carrying into the piece, uh, just portraying the entire day as just a series of misfires and failures. And there wasn't enough people at my signings. And you're like, good God. Okay, we get it. You're trying to smear this. There, there is no, no looking through the lens of Avengers, which now we know because even Marvel has promoted pop, uh, popverse.com has, has now been promoting the last couple of years that the number one best-selling Avengers comic of all space and time is from me, who produced it, wrote it, penciled it, uh, alongside with Jim Valentino and Chap Yap. But it's funny going back to that specific day, but that's years to come. That's a couple of years down the, the, the line yet with Wizard, and that is when they were definitely feeling that they could shape. And let, let me be honest, and many of you will agree, they could shit on you, okay? Uh, so, so, and, and why that, why we gave them such unfettered access, I do not quite understand. And this is after, as, as I've covered in the wizard magazine, the, the dedicated wizard podcast, which, which was just a a final buildup, the insults that they had been throwing my way in 94, 95 led to me calling up the publisher and asking him what time he would be in the office because I want to see if I can land in time and kick his ass. And yes, that happened. And that story is funny. And there is witnesses. Uh, my, my, Eric Stevenson and Matt Hawkins were on either side of me as I yelled uh, very angrily into the speakerphone. It was a funny story, and uh, and and I knew, and they knew at the time that that was it. That was over. Like there's nothing we're going to be able to do to to turn the tide because this magazine will then have an agenda as if they already didn't, but now it's going to be uh, more more deep seated. And it was, but but here's the deal: this is in. Wizard 11, they aren't even to the 12th issue yet. And they're, uh, what is his name? Not his name, his title. Uh, Patrick McCallum was somebody that had grown up from Garib telling me this. Uh, who, Patrick McCallum was someone who had grown up in the kind of close to the Seamus family in terms of collecting comics and cards. And I don't know uh, any, any, any much more than that. He has. His titles, he, he would he would have uh, more powerful titles along the way uh, in this magazine. But at this time, he is the assistant editor, creative director. Those are his two titles. He writes a column called Collecting Comics in the 90s. Uh, Patrick is, is no longer with us, but I'm just going to read with you, from, read to you from his words, uh, from his Collecting Comics in the 90s. And he says, howdy, welcome aboard another Collecting Comics in the 90s. This month, I'm going to talk about what's happening in the comics industry. I really don't think that the general public realizes what's going on in the business, where Marvel and DC were always the big two, and other publishers were, were, um, were crap. <laughs> These are his words. Some pretty serious stuff is going down. First off, Marvel has gotten so enormous, they, can, they, can, they constantly control 50% or greater of the market, and more often than not, even more. The other big boy, DC Comics, is sliding down the charts quicker than you can say, this sucks. So what's going on to combat the Marvel juggernaut and take over DC's position on the charts? There are three companies growing in popularity which are about to split open the comics industry. This is word for word. And this is what's highlighted with notes from Matt Hawkins. <clears throat> and he has underlined a, a phrase uh, that, that is used in this paragraph. So highlighted and right after, you know, about to split the, the sentence that says, which is about to split the comics industry wide open. He says, first off, there's the newly formed, formed image comics a, a subdivision distributed by Malibu Graphics. 
The core of Image is formed by the likes of Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, and Wills Portacio. These are the guys who dominated the sales charts while they were at Marvel and have now started their own company. They may not have the added selling power of drawing Spider-Man or Wolverine. Uh, I, I drew neither of those. My book was Cable and Deadpool and Domino, and I love reminding everyone of that. So uh, indulge me my smirk. They may not have the added selling power of drawing a Spider-Man or a Wolverine, but they're already poised to be a major force in the industry. And here is the notation. Whether they can maintain a high profile remains to be seen. He then goes on to mention Dark Horse. Second on the list is Dark Horse, best known for their comic adaptations. And then he goes to possibly the most impressive up-and-comer of them all is Valiant. A subsidiary of Voyager Communications, they are just now truly coming under the fan spotlight. Without the aid of a team of super hot artists or the benefit of high-profile creators, characters like, I'm sorry, characters like the Terminator, Valiant is pushing itself to the top of the crop by simply putting out well-written, uh, high-quality artwork and building an understandable universe. And they have a solid fan base. And he says, uh, it will be interesting for you collectors, investors, whatever, that's his words. So you collectors, investors, comma, whatever, expect some spectacular products from all the companies list, uh, listed. 1992 and 1993, we'll see a comic war as all the industry leaders volley to become king of the hill. It, it's not terribly offensive, but it, it, it sets the stage for everything that's to come. Whether they can maintain their high profile remains to be seen, okay? And Matt put a rote with a ballpoint pen, whether we can make it to the future, because one thing everyone had decided was that we were not going to be in business together long, okay? I was in business together long enough to have 22 books a month and have Extreme Studios be the number one family of Image Comics. I was the number one family in the number three company, okay? So this this is, this is from, again, Wizard uh, Issue 11. And that, that is uh, Mr. Pat McCallum's uh, kind of stated position. Now, interestingly enough, and you're going to see, you're going to see a pattern here. <clears throat> Wizard number 15, Wolf's Potassio wet work cover. He has his column, collecting comics in the 90s. I just want to make sure that his, um, what, what, what position, what exact title that he has uh, within the company at this time. And at this time, he is still associate editor and creative director as he writes this, uh, th th this column for us. So in collecting comics in the 90s from what I just read to you was from issue 11. This is from issue 15. It's, uh, it says, <clears throat> on to business this month. I'm going to change the focus of this column. I'm not going to talk about the latest trend or what might be a gray area. I'm going, going to talk about our magazine, Wizard Magazine. And he goes, he goes on to, uh, to tell you that Pat McCallum continues to do his job, adding new responsibilities and new duties. And uh, he helps other writers write articles and features every month for the magazine. Uh, in many cases, he begins to write these columns himself, and then he passes them on. And he says he now finds himself doing the top 10 characters, the top books, picks of the month, the letters page, and a handful of regular features and articles that he fails to completely identity. I, I'm sorry, he fails to completely identify. And uh, he says at the end, I'll do my best to never let Wizard become one of those annoying, preachy, elitist fan publications. Well, let me tell you, that was a failed endeavor 
but he is clearly identifying that he's doing a, he sometimes starts writing the articles himself and writes several different unidentified columns and features. Okay. So that's interesting in and of itself. Uh, that, that shows how deep he is involved in this magazine and in shaping everything that you see inside that magazine. So, so get ready for this double whammy. Okay. This is a crazy double whammy in a short window of time. In Wizard number eight, it has a Wills Portacio cover of Bishop. Wizard number eight, collecting comics in the 90s. Again, the uh, Pat, Pat McCallum's column. It has a Spider-Man number one in a polybag, an X-Force number one in a polybag. He says, howdy, and welcome to another edition of collecting comics in the 90s. Today, we're going to talk about those pesky polybags. You know them from such books as X-Force and Spider-Man number one, along with assorted uh, graphic novels and hardcovers. The purpose of polybagging is to protect the issue during shipping. Some of those stains, cuts, tears affect the book. Another purpose of the pre-bagging is to make any spe- special promotions inside the book theft-proof. For example, what would have happened if X-Force number one did not have a polybag wrapper? Lots of fans would have cardless copies. Polybags were created to protect the comic book, and that's it, no questions asked. The thought that these poly issues can become expensive, highly sought-after collectibles, is ridiculous. I have even seen a fan approach Rob Liefeld at a comic convention and have him sign X-Force number one on the bag. That is crazy! Exclamation point, Mr. McCallum asserts. Rob didn't make the bag, he made the comic. Think about it, you now have an unsigned copy of X-Force and an autographed bag. The mindset of the, co- of the comic fan is open the bag, destroy the value. What nonsense this is. The public is placing the entire value of certain comics on the plastic it's wrapped in, and that's wrong. Here hope, hoping the company, here's hoping the companies that produce these comics come up, can come up with a better sales gimmick than the bag. So, oh my gosh. So much ridiculous amounts of uh, hypocrisy and just... Uh, just from the source that will soon start putting arrows in your price guide to tell you your values are going up or they're going down or a certain color told you they're stabilizing. These people tried to turn turn your comic books and did for a better part of a decade to the detriment of everything into stocks. And now they're telling you in this article, and there's just one, there's another to follow. This is something that they don't give up on. Let me tell you something. I signed those poly bags in silver ink, in gold ink, in black ink, in paint markers as people submitted to them. I still sign them. People do not want to open them because there is an excitement to them. Just just today, before I got on this podcast, I was checking my uh, social media and over on Twitter slash X, whichever you refer to it, a, uh, a someone had gotten their copy of The Last Blood, my exclusive comic book that is only available through through me on my whatnot live stream. They had gotten their copy delivered and it is bagged and boarded, and they said, I got it, I'm so thrilled to have it, but, and they, they, they are talking to me directly, but at Robert Liefeld, which is my handle on Twitter slash X, they said, I'm not going to take it out, I don't want to damage it and get my greasy uh, thumbprints and fingerprints all over it, but I'm so excited to have it. That is their choice. Sometimes the thrill of this is the obtaining of the thing. Would I want that person to open it up and read it? But he has already told me his guidelines and provided his guardrails. Who am I to tell him to go beyond that and to push that? Those poly bags that were on X-Force were the actual containment of the comic book. 
and I have signed so many of them. And if they never do actually open and experience the comic, then the packaging and the comic are one. They are complete. But I'm not going to go completely nuts on this, but this is a position of, <laughs> here's the fun part, polybag shaming, collecting shaming. They're, 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 they are only eight issues into their run and they are comfortable telling you about this. Well, it doesn't end here. And I am only sharing this. I'm not writing these. I am sharing with you the positions taken as they were taken. And so Pat McCallum, as we, we heard in the earlier column, when he said to you, what I do here at Wizard, and he says, I write and sometimes start columns and features and then hand them off to other writers. And then he said, often I am involved in writing columns and features that he will not identify. Fine enough. Fair enough. Fine enough. In Wizard Magazine number 13, just five issues later, Collecting Comics is back. Collecting Comics is back. And the article, if you look at it and you look it up in, in, in the index section is polybags. We don't need no stinking polybags is, is how you'll find it in the index of the magazine. Collecting Comics in the 90s is now written by Benjamin Biggs. Is that also Benjamin Button's best friend, Benjamin Biggs? Benjamin Biggs writes, hello and welcome to this month's Collecting Comics in the 90s. Allow me to introduce myself. I'm Benjamin Biggs. I own Biggs Comics in Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, I'm constantly asked the question, what is considered a mint comic? Then he says, first, let's talk about the polybag books and what we do with all these open copies. Under a normal grading system, when you open it, it's like taking a new book and ripping the cover off. Do the values in the price guide reflect the amounts for the open bags as opposed to the sealed bags? Will open books have separate listings in the price guide? Do we, link the, the, do we line the bottoms of birdcages with these open, worthless comics? Do these open book comics get subscription coupons cut out? Boy, I hope Marvel doesn't read this. They might want to start Marvel value stamps again. To answer these questions, we begin with the dilemma of open copies. In The Wizard, there is a listing for an X-Force number one, which is listed as an unbagged copy without card. Now, I don't know about you, but I read comics, and the bag is usually a goner from the start. I guess my copy of X-Force number one, Ghost Rider 28, and Web of Spider-Man 90 are worth more to me read than polybagged. I have this thing about trying to guess what happens to the story besides the publisher's hope that you buy two or more copies anyway so that you can open one to read and save the other for your collection. What do collectors do about bagged and unbagged values? And then there is multiple paragraphs about the the pros and cons of polybagging. Uh, how can we solve this problem? He, he says, as I suggested earlier, let's have some official rules. Because So now, Mr. Retailer from Lafayette, Louisiana is telling us, uh, we will invite CNN to cover the event. We will call it the first ever comic book treaty. Think of how many comic book lives will be saved as a result of this. There's some obviously some humor in here, um, but it 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 it, it sums up with: uh, Do I open the bag or not? And I sit there and I go, "That's two columns in five months about polybag comics. The X Force cover is right there uh, in both columns for all to see." And it speculates, which is in a a magazine about speculating about whether you, how you should properly treat the comic that you may or may not, and they desperately want you to speculate on. Crazy stuff, but the positions are being clear. They're becoming clear. Now, by this time, we are making image comics. Image comics are arriving uh, by the time that this issue 15 has come and gone. I've already done a cover with Wizard that has Cable and Shaft from Youngblood on it. And lo and behold, people, Three issues after that, one issue before 15 is issue 14 has a beautiful art to bear cover on it. He draws Psylocke, Jubilee, Rogue, and Storm 
and uh, and Jean Grey. It's a really great cover by Art Tiber. On page nine, there is an editorial by Patrick Daniel O'Neill. Wizard loved to hire people named Patrick. Um, just like the movie industry likes Ryan's, uh, <laughs> and they like Chris's. Okay, uh, Wizard had Patrick Daniel O'Neill. He did some very combative, ridiculously. They're stupid. He did a he did a, he did a follow up interview with me, and they're like round two, and he asked me more really stupid, dumb questions where he tries to stir up drama. But this man, Patrick Daniel O'Neill, writes. He has a special column, a letter from the editor. This is important, people. It's on page nine of your Wizard number fourteen. And it states, more than a year ago, in the very first issue of Wizard, I asked questions about the role of the editor in the comic book business. Today, I am forced to ask hard questions about the role of the writer. The general public, unfortunately, is blissfully unaware that comic books are still done by more than a single person. A comic book writer who at a party announces something like, I write Colossal Guy, is likely to be asked, can you draw me a picture of him for my little boy? What a weird, that's not true. Uh, The writers must then explain that someone else, an artist, draws Colossal Guy's adventures. He, re- he goes down and he says uh, in this third paragraph, because he, re- he talks about some of his favorite writers, he says, something has changed. Uh, it, the last sentence in the previous paragraph says, but the writer's contribution to the great collaborative series was never negle- n- uh, neglected. He's talking about Bill Finger. He's talking about uh, Will Eisner, Otto Binder, Gardner Fox, who he calls as great collaborators but then in this third paragraph something has changed more and more artists are clamoring for the chance to write their own stories and editors and publishers are responding positively sometimes these artist writers turn out to be true gems frank miller walt simonson dan jurgens he actually says dan jurgensen there is no dan jurgensen there is a dan jurgens someone wasn't editing uh the day this went out john byrne for example are the gems Dan Jurgensen. Hello, Dan Jurgensen. I look forward to meeting you soon. Walt Simonson, who maybe <laughs> Frank Miller, Walt Simonson, Dan Jurgensen, who we know to be Dan Jurgens, John Byrne, for example, are his gems. But lately it seems that the artists who decide to write are getting the nod based solely on their popularity without regard to their writing ability. The results have been a spate of books with fantastic art and no story to speak of. It's like buying portfolio albums of loosely connected pictures. But they aren't comic books. Comic books are primarily storytelling vehicles. If the stories are negligible, so are the final results, no matter how impressive the art may be. My advice to you, the reader, do not settle for second-rate or third-rate writing combined with extraordinary art. You wouldn't settle for the opposite, would you? You wouldn't settle for a movie that was filled with terrific images and no story worth your attention. And he says, actually, considering your... The success of Batman Returns, maybe you would. So, very snide, read into every hostile sentence in there. Who is that tailored at? Well, none of my fellow peers are listed alongside Dan Jurgensen as, uh, as, as standouts. But that is Todd McFarlane, Rob Liefeld, Jim Lee, Mark Silvestri, Jim Valentino, Eric Larson. We all wrote our own stories, and we had tremendous success doing that at Marvel as Eric took over the reins writing and drawing Spider-Man to great acclaim, as Todd McFarlane took over the reins writing and drawing Spider-Man to great acclaim, as Jim Lee took over writing and drawing X-Men to great acclaim, as Rob Liefeld took over New Mutants, transforming it into the uber best-selling X-Force to great acclaim, and so on and so forth. We did two podcasts talking about Jim Valentino grabbing an a, a un, underserved concept from Marvel and making it a hit. They are starting to shift and they think 
Wizards doing well. It's in people's hands. Let's start pushing them towards things. Polybags, bad. Why are you having Rob Liefeld sign your polybag? Um, why are you supporting artists who can't write? Let me go back to where he says these people who are getting the writing assignments are doing so only because they're popular. Hello, uh, Mr. Mr. Patrick Daniel O'Neill. John Byrne got to write because he was the number one artist in comics. And upon separating from X-Men, Jim Shooter said, why don't you try your hand at Fantastic Four? There was no comic book that John Byrne had written outside of himself. Like, he didn't write for someone else. He had only been writing stories for himself. He did, he did Marvel 2 and 150. He did two fill-in issues uh, that came years, about a year before he took over as the dedicated writer-artist and would go on a three- to five-year run. I'm sorry, a four- to five-year run on Fantastic Four. The idea that he was somehow banging out scripts for other people prior to writing for himself because he was so sought after and so popular and people wanted to see how deep that range of his creativity went, that, that, that is all a result of his popularity. Frank Miller, a result of his popularity. When George Perez decided to, to write, a result of his popularity. Walt Simonson had been drawing other people's stories. Roger McKenzie on Battlestar Galactica. He had been uh, writing, drawing David Michelini stories on Star Wars. He then got the reins and he took over on Thor and blew everyone away. But it is because he, his popularity as an artist and that people really wanted to see what he was going to do next. And he was able to negotiate, I am going to be the boss of this because people already like me. And let me see if they can, again, tap into the full range of my creative capacity. And that's what we did. Again, uh, I'm going to share with you in the weeks to come as we continue to mine this rich 90s material. But what we're setting up today is very clearly a, uh, a wizard magazine that is starting to tell you and challenge you. And honestly, that's not their job. Tell us what's happening. Don't become the story. Just tell me what's going on. Tell me the events of the day. Tell me what someone said. Show me the words that they said. Interview them. Let me, you know, read their creative process, their thoughts, their approach. Stop trying to dictate to me what I like and what I should like and what I should, you know, how I should treat the things that I like. I am going to, I guarantee you this year, sign polybagged comic books, X-Force comic books. And the irony of this is uh, there are issues of Wizard that started to come in a polybag fan magazine, uh, other parts of these, uh, the, 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 the fan press, the, the, the comic book journalism was starting to deliver on polybags, which, which again, came with trading cards, uh, uh, comic books. It's, it's just the, the, the vitriol that they're starting to turn towards us is very, very noticeable, and it begins, it begins to build. And I'm going to share with you one last aspect of, as they speculate to, to Image's future. Wizard number 11. Wizard number 11 has a spawn cover. Todd had already done a Spider-Man cover. This is his first spawn cover for the... Uh, for the magazine, this comes in their market watch section. And again, it has notations from, I believe this is from Eric Stevenson. And that, that sound you hear me is clearing the note to put it above so I can read the note and what he's commenting on. But in the wizard market watch section on page 94, uh, congratulations are in order for Image Comics. The new creator-owned comics, the company's premier issue, Youngblood, set an industry record. To top that off, Spawn, um, 
is currently set to 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 best that record uh that number continues to rise and here is the highlighted portions they say way to go todd the jury is still out as to how successful images other projects will be it said speaking of youngblood it not only sold well it completely sold out stores with first prints in stock aren't having problems selling the title for an extra few bucks marking them up then here we go another 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 interpretation of the market how long the higher price will hold is doubtful however when the youngblood miniseries reaches completion all the issues will be collected and sold together at stores like Walmart. So will Spawn. That was the book that kind of spearheaded this because Todd had a, res- a relationship with the guy that was selling comic books to Walmart and brought us all in on it. This is a good idea to introduce new, new readers, but it puts a bad taste in the mouths of fans who are collecting the book in the direct market. Youngblood's mini release is the only image title scheduled to release that way. Bad info. Shade, shade, more shade. Can you see what's going on here? And conveniently, the market report does not have an author attached to it. This magazine is telling you, hey, Youngblood's doing well, it's selling out, but you might want to think about how valuable those books are as if I was putting them out to make them valuable in the first place. I produced Youngblood to get to as many people as possible. We ended up selling well over a million copies. Outselling everything at Marvel and DC, our reorders were through the roof. We went back for multiple printings, and yes, we did have the Walmart uh, solicit. Uh, I'm sorry, distribution. As did Spawn, as did Wildcats, as did all of the initial image books. Dale Dale Keown Spawn was one of those collected. They came in these really nice. I love saying clamshell, hard clamshells that would have three image comics in them. Uh, it was just an absolute great marketing effort by us. They came. By the time all four were collected and available through Walmart, you had purchased Youngblood for months later, much less Youngblood in a year earlier. So it really wasn't going to affect the aftermarket in the first place, but we don't make comics for the aftermarket. Case in point, my latest Last Blood comic that I am distributing through my Whatnot live streams was drawn with the interest of getting the story to the most diehard of my... uh, I don't like using the word fans, the the people who have supported me over the years. I did not know if they would even like what I was doing. I kept it secret. I have yet to really show a single colored page online, and it's going on about three and a half weeks, close to a month until I release this. I also did a manga version, which I worked with a, an artist named Stephen Rexleidler to, uh, to, to do gray tones, speed lines, give it more of a manga looking treatment, and it has gone over extremely well but there was no demand for that either this is this is first time out this is uh first attempts here to try and do this to see if people will like it but i did it blindly and i wanted to get it to people and in our most recent offering we offered the largest portion of our lowest tier pricing of the books that we ever have because i'm i'm not i'm i'm not in the business to create expensive collectibles i'm in the business to entertain you but sometimes just like a movie gets a limited stacked release, you're, you proceed with caution. All of Image Comics was proceeding with caution. I have gone to great lengths and, and shared as the first Image Comics, and I was out there by myself uh, for months. Youngblood 1 and 2 coexisted by themselves for a very long time. Youngblood number 1 by itself, one month solid. I mean, sorry, three months solid because the other guys wanted to see the success that I did. And once they did the math and saw that they could get 
that same sales and that their lives would be wonderful and they wouldn't miss the opportunities that they had at Marvel or DC. They jumped at it. But I did the math and I've shared this with you as my father was very concerned that I was leaving such a lucrative position at Marvel. I did the math based on me doing 10% of what I was doing on a monthly basis with X-Force, which was selling about a million a month in the first year. And I did a, I I said, what if I'm only able to sell 100,000 copies, which again, in today's market is huge. But back then, 10% of what I was doing was is what I based the faith that, that, that I believe the market would give me because it's uncertain at all times. But again, we have just begun to glimpse as we look into, um, the nineties, the eras that made us the nineties today, the media, um, and, and, uh, how we were covered, how ideas were shaped. And I told you that I was going to end this reading to you actual retailer reports, and that's exactly what we're going to do. These happen to be from 1993, the ones that I'm about to share. This is cover dated uh, Overstreet Comic Book Monthly, their, their, their brand new uh, reboot to make it a slicker publication. Uh, it's issue number six, October 1993. And I, I was... Again, I'm looking through all these magazines, looking for quotes, looking for um, material that I can share that, 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 that is um, reflecting on the shaping of the marketplace during that time. And, and, and what do you know, the market reports came in super hot, and I'm about to share those with you right now. The most interesting part of these reports is how surprisingly uh, the, the same retailers that were, were, were reporting on uh, that, that I read to you this past spring and summer from from the different uh, values monthlies from 1989-1990, uh, they they lump often lump image and valiant in the same. They go image slash valiant like we were uh, of the, of the same mind. I'm just going to read you the stuff that was going on with image at the time. Uh, well, well, okay, October '93. Let me let me lead off with Brian and Carol Morris who have CB Comics Plus in Champaign, Illinois, and their Marvel report says people are returning Spider-Man titles uh, are, are returning their Spider-Man titles as well as their Venom appearances. Ha! Um, he said, that's a September Fool's joke. It's taken long enough, but even web of Spider-Man sales have picked up. The Venom, Mary's, Venom Mary miniseries is hot, the popularity rivaling that of the mutant titles. Uh, anything with Deadpool moves swiftly, swiftly from our stands, uh, as does Sabretooth. Okay, so there's some Marvel reporting. When he gets to Image Comics, it says, despite worries concerning the company's stability uh, and the announcement that Rob Liefeld was retiring for a period of time to redefine his art style, sales of Image Comics remain strong, okay? Uh, The big successes here are Spawn, Savage Dragons, as new issues gain steals, gain steam, gain momentum. That is from Champaign, Illinois. CB Comics Plus. They wrote that again. Overstreet Price Guide would compile these and and give you pages and pages and pages of retail reports, and they are the absolute richest uh, responses. Image Valiant is uh, a report from Rick Jostin from Storyteller Entertainment in Rapid City, South Dakota. He writes, uh, "Deathmate." He, he he's one of the guys that lumps Image and Valiant together. Deathmate. Which was the uh, the uh, crossover that we had set out to do in late '93 with 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 Valiant? Deathmate is not a disaster. It is also not a blockbuster. So far, Deathmate has sold respectfully, 
especially the prologue. But it appears the price point for the middle books is a little too high for our region. Unfortunately, all the image valiant characters are so new to comic readers that event status for this crossover is not great. With so many new characters and teams pouring out of image, half the readers don't even know which universe characters belong, which universe the characters belong in anyway. The crossover would work far better a few years from now. Image uh, suffered from some overabundance of titles. When they finally get some of these published, it was a matter of all at once. Most readers are sticking with the core seven titles that came out of Image and are not looking to buy the spinoff books at this time. That is a very matter of fact, just a very basic report that just tells it like it is and you take it on face value and you can make adjustments According to that, that that was a very generous report from a comic store in uh, in, in South Dakota. Larry Kane from Haley's Comics in New Brunswick, Canada, says uh, Wildcats, Stormwatch, Savage Dragon, Shadowhawk, Cyberforce are solid hits. Pitt has been hurt by the long wait for the second issue. Uh, the ending of some of these titles has generated much conversation. Uh, the Max are most mentioned as ones that are going to be missed. Is there any news at all on Wetworks? Okay, so that was just, again, another very basic, very down to the point, what's working for me, what's not. Uh, this report comes to us from, uh, let me see what, what, what store. I, I, the majority of the report was on the other page. Forgive me. This is from, I, I, okay, sorry, I already told you, New Brunswick, Canada. Haley's comics. He says here, uh, Spawn back issues have done great. Uh, Wildcats, Youngblood, Savage Dragon, Cyberforce are moving well. In summary, we are very much in a new issue market. There are just way too many titles out there. Flavor of the month prevails right now as, as everyone tries not to miss the next hot item. Most people are on a budget and there just doesn't seem to be enough money to go around. Okay. So again, just another very basic, very, very matter of fact. Let me see if Greg Harder from The Collector's Slave has something specific that he um, wrote that I could share with you guys about what was going on in the marketplace. Again, specifically, because this is the rise of image. He just lists in other items. He says, uh, he just kind of says independent comics are being requested and asked for, but most of his, uh, his, his, Report is on Marvel and Star Wars comics. Uh, quite, quite honestly. So again, if they're not making a dent, and Image Comics wasn't making a dent in their area, they're not going to give you extensive. Uh, they're not going to give you extensive coverage. Again, it's very interesting to read these marker reports. Uh, this particular report is is generated from the Book Trader in uh, North Dakota, in Minot, Minot or Minot, uh, North Dakota, and they write. My hat off. My hat is off to Image Comics. In the last two weeks, uh, I have seen Image Comics actually deliver on their promise to get us titles on time. Image is finally going to be able to create a new image for the customer and the retailer alike. Uh, on his Marvel, he says Marvel continues to lose customer confidence. If I am reading the comments of my fellow advisors correctly, uh, this is happening elsewhere in the country as well. And then they go on to kind of talk about how difficult. Uh, Marvel Comics are doing. Uh, the X Family and the Spider Family are falling off for this guy. When he gets to Valiant, he reports on the Deathmate series and he says, The Deathmate series, published by Valiant and Image, is doing very well. 
We will see what happens when the Image Comics uh, come out. So again, just very matter-of-factly. And you know what? More of the Deathmate reporting throughout this, just to, p- to pick a bu- hot-button topic that the media would have you to believe was such a, such a honestly, the media would have you believe that the, that, that book was kind of a, a failure. Um, this, this guy, Joe Field, Mr. Joe Field from Flying Colors Comics, he says, as I'm writing this, I'm recovering from the Valiant Image Death Tour we just sponsored in our store. Nearly 300 people showed up for the event, which was held in our new outlet. The surprising thing to me was just how young the crowd was. Of all the events that we've had in our five years, Deathmate drew the youngest crowd by far with an average age of kids around 13 years old. What I deduce from this is that Marvel Comics is losing some of the grip on the kids who, until a year and a half ago, were, remember this term, Marvel Zombies. Well, even wealthy Ross Perot would be hard-pressed to be a Marvel Zombie because it is difficult to, defo- uh, to afford everything that they are producing. And you know what? We are going to end this particular market report right there because it actually coattails on something I've been saying to you that in the 90s, we saw an introduction of young fans. We saw 13-year-old kids. We saw teenagers coming in following our leads because our generation was younger. I look at pictures of Jim Lee from 1991 and people say, I look young. I think he looks like a teenager. Okay. We looked young. Todd looked like uh, kind of a uh, uh, maybe the, the 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 next lead singer for 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 Quiet Riot with his kind of permed uh, medium haircut. Uh, you know, Mark's tall, gallant, handsome guy. Uh, you had you had kids. Jim Jim Lee and myself is about five years between us, but we both kind of had young baby face uh, appearances, and and we were leading a new group of 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 artists. And to see Joe Field, who is not always the friendliest retailer, and that is an effusive praise. Of the books that we were doing, and and to and to find out that that kind of turnout, you get a you get fifty people to a store. That's a huge deal. You get a hundred now, three hundred came out for the Deathmate tour. Again, we're going to be examining the media, how it was covered, how it was shaped, how you were absolutely one thousand percent manipulated, just using the words that were dropped into these magazines. Not my interpretation. I didn't have to go to interpretations today. It was all there for you to experience yourself. You guys, just thank you so much for going down this road. I just find, again, looking for these, these resources led me to this shaping. And early on in Wizards' first year, they were attempting to guide you and to manipulate you. And God, thank God that, that, that magazine died the miserable death that it did. And it is no longer here. There are people who are trying to be a, 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 a website wizard telling you what books to collect. It is laughable how off they are all the time. Please be cautionary. You know, we, you know who's going to tell you the truth? Your retailer. He's going to tell you the truth. Uh, and it may not be a truth that, that I would like to hear, but they are going to tell you what's happening behind the cash register each and every time. They're going to give you what's going on, and they're also going to tell you what they think is absolute bullshit when it comes to speculation because there's so much of it right now. Thank you again for listening. At the end of each and every episode, I share with you guys the um, incredibly generous reviews that you share with me about this show, about Rob's Observations. We have been for eight weeks straight since we came back, the number one comic book podcast, the number one comic book podcast on Spotify, on Apple. And I thank you for that. Thank you for joining us in such huge numbers, for sharing this with your friends. The word of mouth is carrying this show and these reviews are so important and so helpful. And today I'm going to read a couple of them. This one is from Oscalibur, like Excalibur, but Aus, like Aussie, but it's A-U-S-C-A-L-I-B-U-R, 
Oscalibur. He left this on the Apple uh, platform just the other day. It's five-star review, the sequel, five stars. What I love about this week's episode is it is a great example of how Rob can tell a very personal story framed within the context of a com- of comic book history. Truly speaks to his talents as a storyteller. Forgive me for sharing, but Rob speaks often of the bicentennial so frequently. I'd think he'd enjoyed my debut novel, Brooklyn 76, about an Italian-American family's struggles and misadventures in the bicentennial. I have also been curating bicentennial memorabilia as a companion on my website, anthonyauxilio.com. I'd love to forward Rob an advanced copy or ebook if interested. I think he'd enjoy it. Again, loving the podcast, Anthony. Anthony, I'm going to check out your book, uh, Anthony Ossiello, A-U-S-I-E-L-L-O.com. That's his website. Check him out. The bicentennial is a big deal. I can't wait to dig into this. Thank you for your generous review. This comes from Lucky Mendoza, another Apple podcast. Robservations, five stars, gem of the month's highest possible recommendation for this show. I'd like to hear more on pop culture, but comic books are my bread and amp. Butter, my bread and amp butter too, of course. More voices, more singing, and the Todd father himself. Okay, you guys are just... um. Uh, just so, so generous, and I and 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 I I just appreciate the 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 uh, the way that you guys have just rallied uh, to this show and shared it. And you know we're we're doing a rare three review today because we are so just stacked with these incredible review best comic book history ever. Writes Domo Kun Domo Dash Kun again from Apple Podcast. Domo Kun uh, writes best comic history ever is the title five stars. Have known Rob for decades, met many times at conventions, and I must say the insider stories are so refreshing. Amazing to listen to. I have learned so much from each and every episode. I hope Rob does many, many more. Thank you for the fun shows, buddy. Best comic history ever. Hey, three reviews. I don't think we've ever done three reviews. Thank you to all of you who are going on Apple Podcasts. You're looking up your um, different uh, platforms, and you're leaving. You're taking out your keyboards. You're 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 sharing your support for the show. We uh, just are so thrilled to have you aboard and so thankful. And I am so uh, excited to have you guys supporting the show, spreading the word of mouth. Uh, you are the reason that I continue to do the show. I, I, I am so grateful and I am so thankful to you. Thank you for your support. When you're not listening to me on my podcast, please join me. I've already given you an inner episode, whatnot uh, uh, push. Get that app, get that whatnot. Follow me, Rob Liefeld, so you can see when I go live with my shows. Signed, exclusive variants, artwork, covers. You're not going to get anywhere else. Now a comic book, a full comic book, 28 full color pages. People are telling me it is their favorite work that I have done. I, I did not set out to, to get these responses. I just poured myself into it and, and the love has come back. I want you to get this comic. We continue to offer affordable uh, uh, versions of Last Blood. Please pursue Last Blood through me on my whatnot show. When you're not uh, following me on my live stream, which many people say is an extension of this very podcast because I am talking right at you sometimes hour and a half, two hours. Um, very free form, very, very generous in, in, in the back and forth with so many of you who jump on. I love talking to you and seeing you. So that, that is what that, 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 um, live, live stream offers. But in addition, I am always over on Twitter slash X. My name is at Robert Liefeld at Robert Liefeld has a blue check. R O B E R T L I E F E L D. I love reading your comments, your, uh, your, 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 your DMs, your replies. I love interacting with you over on that uh, platform. We do it so often. I am on there multiple times a day. I'll be looking for you. I am at Robert Liefeld over on Twitter slash X. 
I will look for you over there on Instagram. One of my favorites. I love the pictures, the stories, the reels, the videos. Uh, I share what I'm eating, the, the people I'm, I'm dining with, my friends, my family, most importantly, my art, my process, uh, the, the stuff that I'm producing that I want you to know about. Please follow me on Instagram at Rob Liefeld. Get Instagram. Download that app. So many great people to follow. I hope I'm one of them at Rob Liefeld. Another blue check signifying it is legitimately uh, verifiably me. I look forward to seeing you. And, and, and again, I read your replies, your, 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 um, your mentions, your interactions. I am so thankful uh, for all the people who already follow me. Uh, that's where I promote you know, where I'm going to be uh, doing live streams and, and so many of the other comics that I'm publishing and the events that I'm doing. So please follow me at Rob Liefeld over on Instagram. Uh, give me a shout. Uh, give me an interaction. It, it's, it's so much fun. It is by, by far my favorite. Finally, we have a group. It's called Facebook. Uh, sorry. <laughs> we have a group on Facebook. We have a group on Facebook, a group. It's called Rob Liefeld, Marvel, Extreme, and Beyond. I desperately want to see you over there. Please uh, go to Facebook. Look up Rob Liefeld, Marvel, Extreme, and Beyond. The two administrators are myself and a gentleman named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A. That's his last name, Sala. Uh, the two of us will click you on through. We are the administrators, the moderators. Again, so much of the topics that we cover here, we go further, more in depth over there, but we talk about comics, art. There are art contests. Terry runs a weekly art contest. So much great art is being submitted. The the the, the people in the group vote on it. Um, it's, it's just a great experience. The vibes are great. The vibes are high. We share comic book history. Some of this, these articles that I talk about, I, I actually take photos, I print, I share. Um, it, it's turning out to be quite the time capsule, but it is a great clubhouse i hope that you can join uh we 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 let pretty much anybody uh decent on through and who wants to keep up the good vibes with us rob liefeld marvel extreme and beyond is my group on facebook look for it i hope to see you there at the end of each and every episode no matter what i wish you all the very best i want your emotional your spiritual your physical and your mental well-being to be exactly where you need it to be and I, I give you my own recommendations that I implement is get off the grid, step off of the grind, get away. It may be only a few hours. It, it may be a weekend. Just reset, watch a great movie, read a great book, read a great comic book, have a great meal, go out with your friends the other night. Joy and I went to a brand new Italian restaurant. It was so great to get out, to get out, experience, experience something new. Um, you know, be, be, if you're not going to be social, if you're not going to have that great meal, if you're not going to have that great cupcake, I will drive all the way to Irvine Spectrum to get sprinkles cupcakes uh, here in Orange County because sometimes you just got to have, you just got to have the double white chocolate, okay? It's, oh my gosh, okay. I, I love sugar. I love sugary treats. I love gelato. I love ice cream. Um, I love pizza. I love tacos. I love burritos, enchiladas. I love, uh, I love Chinese food. Oh my gosh. Give me General Chow's chicken. I mean, come on. I am all over uh, all sorts of food. Food is a great uh, comfort and getaway and trigger. Try and enjoy it with, with a great friend. Go to a comic store. Go to a bookstore. Go to a toy store. Whatever is your love language. I hope there's someone who can indulge you or do it yourself. Do it yourself. You'll always get something out of it. When I do those runs, you think I get people in the car to go do a cupcake run? I don't. I do it by myself and I'm so excited. I actually drive home faster. I do. And of course, candy bars are a huge part. Uh, Super Bowl party. Someone made the mistake of putting out the, the peanut butter cups. There, there obviously was a Peter peanut butter cup uh, uh, burglar because they all got burgled very quickly and 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 some people didn't may, maybe look into the large pockets on on the burglar's uh, uh, jacket over the sweatshirt over the over the pants and maybe they didn't know to check to see who burgled them all it, it that I think that person resembled me a great deal I love 
Her, Reese's, Reese's, not Hershey, Reese's Big Cups. They are my go-to once a day. <laughs> They're my super vitamin, okay? Let's just call them my super vitamin. Anyway, you guys get it. I am fist bumping you right through this blue Yeti microphone. I am wishing you all the very best. Thank you for listening. I, I, I want you to do well, to be doing well, to feel love, to be loved, to give love. Uh, extend somebody some grace and give some grace yourself, okay? That's another thing that I am learning a great deal about. Hey, please come on. Please come back around. I'm going to be right here. I'll be here. Okay. I hope to see you. We will, as you know, most definitely, absolutely, and inevitably talk again real soon.